This morning in your Bibles, we would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be reading from verses 1 through 16 in your pew Bible. You can find that on page 1345. After we read from that portion of the Word of God, we'll then also read from our historic confession, the Belgic Confession, and in the Forms and Prayers, a book that you can also find in your pew rack. You can find that section on page 184 as we'll be reading Article 28. As we continue moving through the doctrines of Scripture as they are expressed and summarized in the Belgic Confession, uh, we have uh, a couple of articles that deal with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the last time we were together, uh, we considered that the very nature of the church, the very essence of the church is the gathering, the assembly of the people of God, of the Christians, of those who are united by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore also united one to another. Uh, we continue to look at the church, and so we read this morning uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things." And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Thus far our reading from the word of God. Uh, we then read in Article 28 of the Belgian Confession that is entitled The Obligations of Church Members, we believe that since this holy assembly and congregation is the gathering of those who are saved, and there is no salvation apart from it, no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, regardless of his status or condition. But all people are obliged to join and unite with it, keeping the unity of the church by submitting to its instruction and discipline, by bending their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and by serving to build up one another, according to the gifts God has given them as members of each other in the same body. And to preserve this unity more effectively, it is the duty of all believers, according to God's word, to separate themselves from those who do not belong to the church in order to join this assembly 
wherever God has established it, even if civil authorities and royal decrees forbid and death and punishment, physical punishment result. And so all who withdraw from the church or do not join it act contrary to God's ordinance. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, many a child, many a young person, many a teenager, but also many an adult has, from time to time throughout life, asked the question, do I have to? Maybe boys and girls, your mom says that you have to pick up your room. Now hopefully you obey quickly and promptly, and maybe even eagerly, cheerfully, but maybe you say out loud, or at least in your mind, do I have to? Or maybe teenagers, uh, your parents say, well, we're going to go here, we're going to do this, and, and you, because you have other plans, you say, well, do I have to go along? Uh, maybe uh, the wife says to the husband, uh, well, I would like to go shopping at this store, uh, look at uh, these knickknacks, and the husband, either verbally or again in his mind, says, do I have to go along? All of those, we find those questions uh, in everyday life, Uh, but sadly, sometimes that same question can arise when we consider church membership and participation in church membership. And so, it might be in regards to the evening worship service of the church. Do I have to go? It might be to a Bible study within the church. Do I have to go? Do I have to participate? It might be the opportunity that presents itself for being on a committee or serving in some way within the local congregation, and the question can quickly arise in our minds, do I have to? I would present to you that that question, do I have to, when it's asked in relationship to participation in the local church, is really a negative perspective. It shouldn't be so much, do I have to, but should I? And when we frame the question that way, and then when we look at the answer from a biblical perspective, should I is answered clearly and unequivocally with yes. Should I be a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Should I participate faithfully in its activities? Yes. Should I use what gifts and talents the Lord has given me for the well-being of His service? Yes. And the Belgian Confession, as it summarizes biblical truth, expounds these things in more detail. And so we want to consider this morning this theme, our belief concerning the membership in the church. And I would just add that when we talk about membership in the church, in this context we are referring to membership within a local congregation or a local church. And we'll notice, first of all, the requirement of membership, and then secondly, the action in membership, And then thirdly, the importance of membership. So our belief, based upon Scripture as summarized by the Belgian Confession, our belief concerning membership in the church, in the local church, its requirement, its action, and its importance. So first of all, the requirement of membership. 
Uh, we are living in a day and in an age in which the requirement of membership in a local congregation is by and large discredited by many. And there are a variety of reasons why this is discredited by many. Uh, ignorance, uh, but also uh, the fact that we now are more connected together uh, through technology, and even while technology connects us together, even secular experts are identifying the fact that although we think we are connected together, and by means of technology perhaps we are, we are actually living more disconnected lives, and that has also come to impact the church. And given the ignorance that is widespread concerning what the scriptures have to say about membership in the local church, And then given the availability of technology over the last couple of years, added with the experience of the pandemic, there has been a growing disconnect of individual persons from the local church, from the local congregation. And in an attempt to refute this and to correct this and to remedy this, I want to look carefully this morning at the requirement of membership given, first of all, the nature of the assembly. Uh, You will not appreciate the obligation, but also the opportunity of local church membership unless you understand what the local church is. Now, we could say many things about the local church, that local manifestation of a group of individual persons who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who then unite themselves together as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is the nature of the assembly. Uh, The nature of the assembly of the local church is a holy assembly. Now, Now here some will quickly say, oh, but the church is made up of sinners. You're absolutely right. The church is made up of sinners. Sinners who sin. Sinners who sin against God and sinners who sin against one another. But sinners who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And therefore sinners who are justified, objectively holy, and sinners who are sanctified, being redeemed and washed and cleansed and renewed by the grace and by the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if someone says, oh, the church, just a bunch of sinners in there, you're right, but holy sinners. And if the church is a gathering of sinners. That's where you and I belong. Because that's what you and I are. It's an old saying, but it bears being repeated. If you ever find the perfect church, make sure you don't join it. Because if it's perfect, you'll be the one that ruins it. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, but we are holy sinners. And our holiness is based upon our vital union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the church is a holy assembly and it is a local assembly. Now there's some tension, although it's not a 
unreconcilable tension between Article 27 of the Belgian Confession and Article 28 of the Belgian Confession. Article 27 refers to what theologians often call the universal church or the invisible church. Uh, There is one body of believers that spans history and that also spans geography. Uh, Now, Article 28 begins to look a little bit more closely and recognizes that that one universal church is comprised of various local congregations or various local churches. And that also is a biblical way of speaking. Uh, When the Apostle John writes the book of Revelation, he addresses the seven churches in Asia Minor. These seven churches are local in a certain geographical area a manifestation in that local congregation of the universal church. And so the universal church comes to manifest itself in a local manifestation of a congregation. And this this refutes the idea where people say, well, I'm a member of the universal church, so I don't need to be a member of a local church. Well, that's an unbiblical way of thinking. That's unbiblical, illogical thinking. If If we are, by grace and by faith, a member of the universal church, that is the overall assembly of the people of God, then that reality, that spiritual reality, must show itself by our taking our position, our presence, and our participation in a local manifestation of that church. And so if somebody boasts, well, I don't need to be a member of a local church because I'm a member of the universal church, their boasting reveals their foolishness. And to illustrate that foolishness, you could just simply think of the Apostle Paul. Would he have ever said, well, I'd have no need of the local church because I'm a member of the universal church? No, he recognized that he had every need of the local church. And you could also think of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ And it's absolutely remarkable that when he begins his public ministry, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and Luke records a phrase that is absolutely remarkable. It says, as was his custom. Now, boys and girls and young people, many of you, most of you, have been trained from a young age to attend the local congregations assembling itself together on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. That's good training. You, you have developed a custom. I, I like to say and, and think, and it's, it's true, even our dog at home knows when it's Sunday because of the pattern that has been established. Boys and girls, Jesus also had a pattern. On the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. And so when your parents say, okay, it's time for church, you're developing a pattern. Continue that pattern all throughout your life. As you become a teenager, as you become an adult, continue as the custom is of gathering ourselves together because there is a certain benefit. Uh, The nature of the assembly is a holy and a local assembly. Uh, The benefit that comes from membership is the means of grace. It is within the local congregation 
that we find the exercise of the means of grace. And the means of grace primarily are the preaching of the word and also the administration of the sacraments. Now, through the advancement of technology, which we use and we recognize in its lawful, proper place, uh, you can hear sermons any day of the week, any time of day, and you can hear sermons from uh, those men who are especially gifted uh, in their pulpiteering. Uh, And certainly avail yourself to that. Uh, use that. Uh, but that ought not to replace for those who are physically able to gather themselves together in the congregation the lively preaching of the Word. It can be a supplement, you might say, but it cannot be a replacement. Just like for most of us, uh, I, for one, and maybe you also, take a supplemental vitamin. But I would never be uh, as bold as to say, well, I took my supplemental vitamin this morning. I have no need for meals the rest of the day. Because the vitamin is a supplement uh, to the staple diet. And the staple diet of the means of grace is the lively preaching of the Word. And also then the administration of the sacrament. And you and I, we need to appreciate the means of grace. Uh, First of all, the recognition that we have a need for grace. If the Christian church is an assembly of holy sinners, those holy sinners ought to be the first individuals who recognize, I have a dire need for grace. And not just an initial grace, but continual grace. And so you can think of uh, Sunday and of the assembling of ourselves together as our spiritual recharging center. So that we come into this assembly, and and experience will often testify this. We come in as those who are spiritually hungry and thirsty, in need of refreshment, in need of reviving. And we find that refreshment, we find that reviving underneath the means of grace as they are distributed and dispersed and employed within the local congregation. And the impact of these means uh, is that our faith grows. 1 Peter 1, verse 23, and also 2, verse 2, says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. And so this desire for the pure milk of the word ought to be something of the motivation for ourselves to assemble together underneath the preaching of the Word. Now, as we transition uh, into our second point, uh, I want to give a time-tested illustration uh, of the importance of assembling ourselves together. And boys and girls and young people, you can think of this also. Maybe you've had uh, a fireplace or uh, a bonfire or a campfire. Now, don't do this without parental supervision, especially if you're uh, young, but if, if there's a, what we call a bed of coals there, maybe the fire has kind of burned down, but there's, there's this bed of coals, and sometimes you, they're, they're red and they're orange. Maybe even you see blue in there. They're very, very hot as each coal contributes its heat to the neighboring coal, so to speak. But if you, with a fire tong, take one coal and remove it from that bed of coals and just set it off to the side and watch it, it will very quickly cool. And the light of the red or of the orange will go out. 
The same thing happens if a person removes themselves from the assembly of the saints. Very, very quickly, their spiritual light and their spiritual heat dims and cools. Don't let that happen to your soul. This is not out of self-interest, but you and I, we need the assembling of ourselves together. That's why the author of the Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We move then into our second point to consider the action and membership. Well, what are we to do as members of the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, First, there is the exercising of the communion of the saints, and then there is the preserving of the unity of the saints. We said that the church is an assembly of sinners, but sinners who are saints based upon justification, based upon sanctification, based upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and redemption. And so every person who is a Christian, every person who is united to the Lord Jesus Christ also has the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And that brings about what we call the office of believer. Every believer then, according to what Scripture clearly reveals in Ephesians 4, for example, every believer receives spiritual gifts, spiritual talents. Now, of course, there are a diverse personalities among the members of the church. Diverse uh, aptitude, you might say. Some people are more gifted in this area, and other people are more gifted in that area. And the Apostle Paul, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses the analogy of the human body. The human body being made up of a variety of parts, and each part having its own specific function and task, but each part fulfilling its own function and task so that the entire body is able to operate and is able to live. And so, although my knowledge on these things is quite limited, you can think of the difference, boys and girls, between a hand and a foot. And for the most part, You don't do with your hands what you do with your feet. So, for example, the illustration comes to mind if you're going to play soccer. You don't go out on the field and and punch the ball. You kick the ball. You don't use your hand for that which you use your feet. And within the muscular structure, all kinds of muscles and tendons and ligaments, but each has its own specific purpose and role. And when it all works together, underneath what we might say the central nervous system, it's a wonderful harmony, and a human being can accomplish feats that we say, look, that's amazing that that person can do that, that they can run like that, that they can jump like that. But then we also know that perhaps through disease or injury, when one part of the body is disabled, the whole function of the body is limited and is impaired. And so you can think of an athlete, and he can just have one muscle pull, and he's sidelined. You might say, well, all the other muscles are fine. Yes, but that one muscle, that one muscle is torn or that one muscle is pulled. And because that that one muscle is not able to contribute to the whole exercise in the body, the entire athlete is sidelined. 
And so this biblical illustration from Ephesians 4 uh, of the church being the body and of every part of the body, every member of the body receiving uh, a gift, a talent for the service of the body. Uh, That's what we see, for example, uh, in verse 12 of Ephesians 4. It's interesting uh, that the saints are to do the work of ministry. Look very carefully at verse 12. Yes, there are Verse 11, office bearers, apostles in the New Testament age, prophets also in the New Testament age, pastors and teachers, and they are to equip the saints, especially through teaching and exhortation, so that the saints, that is, the holy members of the church, the holy sinners, that they might do the work of ministry. And that they might do the work of ministry, why? For the equipping, edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying just simply means to build up. And so we are members of this congregation, and in part we are members of this congregation in God's good providence so that we might use the gifts and the talents that the Lord God has given us to engage in the work of ministry. So you and I, all of us, are to be engaged in the work of the ministry edifying one another, building one another up. And by way of reflection, you could ask yourself, whom have you built up recently? And how have you built them up? And here are a few examples by no means exhaustive. It can be an extremely edifying thing to receive a word of encouragement. Have you given a word of encouragement recently to that quiet person in the congregation who always just seems to be kind of standing off by themselves? To that person who has received discouraging news? To that person who perhaps is weighed down with the anxieties and the doubts and the struggles of motherhood? You can make the application uh, to those ladies in the congregation, and I never say older, those who are more mature. You, You see that young mother struggling with all the responsibilities of motherhood? A word of encouragement. Maybe a hand of encouragement. A hand of help. Uh, and for men, we can use the word older. Older men, you see that young father balancing or attempting to, juggling the responsibilities of home, of work, maybe of being on the school board, or maybe his first term as deacon. A word of encouragement can be a most powerful, edifying tool. It's just an example, many, many more Uh, could be compounded. But you know, there's a difference between part-time and full-time help. Sometimes in the construction industry, before I went into the gospel ministry, you know, we we would get what we called temp laborers, temporary laborers, part-time help. You know, and they'd show up, maybe they'd work, maybe they wouldn't work, Maybe they'd show up. Maybe they wouldn't show up. Uh, Nowadays, from what I hear in the job market, 
That describes just about everybody. But it shouldn't describe the members of the church. If you had to identify your participation in the local church, would you put behind it full-time or part-time? Are you a full-timer or a part-timer? One of the things that I've been impressed about is the dedication that individuals have towards certain organizations and certain involvement in various things. There are people who take their involvement in a certain organization very, very, very seriously. Maybe it's a member of some club. Maybe it's participation in a sport. You know, and early in the morning, they're off attending whatever needs to be attended to. And late at night, maybe. And day in and day out. Now, we can discuss the merits of this, or perhaps the demerits. But our participation in the church should be no less, and in fact should be more, than our dedication and our participation in all of these other organizations and events. And not only uh, in the participation, but also then in the preserving of the unity of the saints. Uh, The Apostle Paul emphasizes this with with strong words in our text. If you look there uh, in verse 1 and verse 2, I, therefore, Paul says, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. Uh, And and I'm not exactly sure the best synonyms, but but this is an earnest pleading. And and you can almost hear the the heart of the apostle. It's a begging, but but it's also an, an imploring I beg and I implore with you, Paul says to the congregation, that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You have been called to be Christians. Called to be members of Christ. And so Paul says, I I pour my heart out and I simply desire for you to actually manifest that reality and how you interact one with another. We might say, well, what would this look like? The Apostle Paul goes on with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. And then another uh, graphic word, endeavoring. Here again, it's, it's straining every element of your being. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Anyone who has been a member of the church for any length of time knows the importance uh, of being long-suffering, of suffering long with one another. What ought to motivate our long-suffering with one another? The fact that the head of the church, Jesus Christ, is long-suffering towards us. To quote, and I'm sure many, many, many others have said the same thing. To quote Charles Spurgeon, those who are forgiven must be those who forgive. It really is that simple. To walk into the assembly of the church and say, I am a member of the church because I am forgiven of all of my sins because of the Lord Jesus Christ's grace and mercy. 
and then not have a forgiving spirit towards our fellow brother and sister in the faith has to be the most hypocritical stance a person can ever take. Endeavoring to keep the unity, to keep this unity, the unity in the faith. Well, that is something about the action of church membership. Uh, We then hasten on for time's sake into the importance of membership. Uh, The importance, it's important, I just simply want to try to spell this out clearly, it's important to be a member of the local congregation, first of all, in obedience to God's ordinance, or ordinance God's command, God's instruction. God's Word is clear as we've looked at a variety of passages. You could also look at 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through 7, the description of of love and how this works out in the local congregation. Uh, But I think perhaps the most clear illustration is all throughout the book of Acts. Uh, As the missionary journeys of the early church went on, uh, what was the major goal of the missionary journeys? The establishment of local congregations. And all of the epistles that are contained in the New Testament, uh, they're not written in some abstract context, but they are written to local manifestations of Christian communities. And the exhortations also that we have referenced, do not forsake, Hebrews says, the assembling of yourselves together. That assembling of yourselves together is in a local congregation. Congregation just meaning a word to congregate together, to assemble together, to gather together, especially on the corporate day of worship. And so the church is not just some voluntary social club, but those who are united to the Lord Jesus Christ are those who then seek to be faithful to the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ, including Membership and active participation within the local church. Contrary to some type of uh, rank individualism. And I know individualism, you know, and, and this love of individualism lies in all of our hearts and maybe in the Western world and maybe in North American context and maybe in the United States of America we are especially guilty of this individualism that me, myself, and I, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be an island in the midst of the sea of humanity. Well, if you take that perspective, if you take that attitude, uh, which lives to some degree in all of us, and if you lay it before the microscope of the Word of God, you'll see that that attitude, that perspective, is not the biblical one. Assemble yourselves together. Not live in isolation and individualism. Uh, Notice also that there is to be not so much a consumer mentality, but a servant mentality. And this also is a reason for church membership. I'm afraid that many of us, when we look at church membership with a consumer mentality, And questions such as, what did I get out of it? What do I get out of participation in the church? Now, I understand that that question can be a legitimate question at some level, but it can also be a misleading question. 
Imagine if you and I were to approach our gatherings together, not so much with the attitude of what can I get out of it, but what can I contribute to it. Imagine the difference as we made our ways home after a service and as we had our meal together. If we went around the table and instead of, what did you get out of the service this morning, we asked ourselves, what did you give to the life of the congregation this morning? Or to the life of the congregation this evening or this week? Do you notice how that would be a radical change in our perspective? Now, you have your own Bibles, and you have the Holy Spirit. I'll wrestle with the question, and I just simply ask you to wrestle with the question. Which one is a more biblical way of looking at participation in the church? What did I get out of it, or what did I contribute to it? The implications for the importance. Uh, I'm not a prophet, not, not in the Old Testament or the New Testament sense of the word. I don't know exactly what the future holds. Uh, but we are indeed living uh, in the culture of increased secularism, a secularism that is antagonistic against Christianity. Uh, and we can look to the north of the border and we can see some of the things that our brothers and sisters are facing uh, in the churches in Canada. Uh, you can also hear, uh, you know, the rumblings uh, in Europe. Uh, who knows how long it will be before we are charged with hate crimes for speaking the truth of the Word of God. Uh, and then it will especially become clear and become evident uh, that there will have to be times with wisdom and with humility that we echo what the apostles had to say to the authorities in their day. When the authorities forbid us from speaking the truth of the Word of God, and when the authorities forbid us uh, to assemble ourselves together, then with humility we will have to say, we must obey God rather than man. And when that day comes, and we pray that it won't be anytime soon, we certainly desire a quiet and a peaceable life that we might live according to godliness. And therefore we pray for all men, especially kings and those in positions of authority. But when the day comes in which the civil authority says, we forbid you from meeting together, then there'll be the real test. Then the rubber will meet the road. Will we still assemble together? Those who understand the biblical mandate for active participation in the local assembly of the Christian church out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ will say, we must obey God rather than man. And it is my fervent hope and my fervent prayer that we all, along with our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, will continue to make the bold confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and when he calls us to assemble ourselves together, then with joy and gladness in our heart, we will certainly do so. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling a church into existence by your sovereign grace. Uh, we humbly ask that you would give us insight and instruction 
uh, in what it means to be a member of the church, of the assembly uh, of God's people. Uh, Father, we ask that you would preserve and increase our experience of unity and of communion, of fellowship. Uh, And may we be active members. Uh, May we be full-time members. And may we have uh, the mentality of uh, what can we do uh, to advance the life of the congregation? Uh, Give us a sober assessment of, of gifts and of talents that you as our Creator have endowed us with, but also give us an eagerness to use them cheerfully for the well-being of all. This we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.